0: So I'm Amy and I have the great privilege of uh, reading the Bible for us tonight. The passage is Micah 7, 8 to 20. You can follow along in your Bibles or potentially on the screen. So starting Micah 7 from verse 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause he will bring me out into the light i will see his righteousness then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame she who said to me where is the lord your god my eyes will see her downfall even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets the day for building your walls will come the day for extending your boundaries In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants, as the result of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest, in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will look dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You'll be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago.
1: Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is John. I have the great privilege of being the vicar here at St Jude and a very warm welcome if this is your first time with us. Uh, we are delighted that you can be with us. Uh, and what we do here at St Jude is open God's Word together and, and see what God has to say. And we are finishing up tonight the very last bit of the book of Micah, a prophet who, who preaches uh, to Israel. Uh, before that, uh, in 2015, Arguably, and I use that word advisedly, the greatest song ever was released by Omi. Do you know what the song is? Cheerleader. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm... You don't need to be ashamed, brother. It's okay to, you know, like you bit of Omi. It's right. It's, it's, a, it's got a groovy little reggae thing going on. Uh, it's a great song. But what's interesting about that song, of course, is it's a one-hit wonder. Right, that's it. One song only and then we've, we've not heard anything from him since. We're still waiting his second, his second single, but nothing. It's a one-hit wonder. And when it comes to the prophecy of Micah, the book of Micah, there's a bit of a one-hit wonder going on in this book. There is one verse that everybody knows. we want to have a... I'm trying to be interactive because it's you know, late in the day and you've, you've finished uni for the year, so you need to be kept awake. Who knows the verse, right? I haven't got prizes, but if I did, you'll get one. Verse 6, verse 8, which is? Verse 18, did you say? That's okay. 6, 8, this is what the Lord... We even sang it earlier to kind of give you a hint. Ming, help me out. That's the one, right? That's the one, yeah. That's the famous verse. They even made a song, which we, we sang a beautiful song about that verse. And it's, it's a really good verse, actually, because what it does is it captures what we are to be as followers of Christ. And the reason being, as we should see, it, it captures the heart of God. That is who God is. But, of course, the message of Micah is much more than just that beautiful uh, diamond of a verse in 6.8. It's a much bigger, bigger picture of how God brings hope through judgment. And the call for God's people to respond this way is part of a bigger story of God's people who go through judgment and into hope. And it's that last bit of hope, that that beautiful picture of hope, particularly that Micah brings to our attention right at the very end of his prophecy, at the end of, of Micah in chapter 7. And there are four great reasons, Micah says, that God's people should have hope, that's us, as well as those first hearers, Uh, of God's Word. So let's look at that together. Uh, Great if you have uh, a Bible in front of you. If not, we've got the the Bible text printed for you uh, on the handout or you've got your phone as well so you can choose any number of technologies. Uh, The first reason we have hope is in verses 8 to 10. The reason we have hope is the Lord is the light in the darkness. The Lord is the light in the darkness. And if, if you read those verses, 8, 9 and 10, what you'll notice is Micah does two things at the same time that are in tension. Firstly, he is open about his brokenness. He's boldly broken. Doesn't hide his sin. And secondly, he's boldly confident in God's grace at the same time. See the tension? He's really open about his sin, doesn't hide it. And he's really open about the fact that God loves him and will redeem him. Uh, Before we jump into verse 8, just a little kind of symbolism going on here. In our culture, when we talk about darkness, uh, often we're talking about nighttime, yes, but sort of symbolically, it's often a symbol of something going on internally. You can be in a dark mood or or, uh, we could talk about someone being ignorant, they're in the dark, Or perhaps someone who's feeling depressed or broken. They speak about it being a very dark place for them. We mean it internally. In the Scriptures, primarily, it's an external reality. And particularly, it's a symbol of God's judgment. When we talk about people being in darkness, it's about judgment. And that helps us understand what Micah is saying in verse 8, where he says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, that is, in God's judgment, the Lord will be my light. And that's really clear in the very next verse, what what he means. It says, verse 9, Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. That's why I'm in darkness. He's bold, right? He's He's not denying his sinfulness. I sit in darkness because I have sinned and the Lord will still be my light. See the tension? Bold brokenness, bold confidence. And it's a reminder as followers of Christ, as God's people, we don't minimise sin. We don't play down its ugliness. We don't play its offensiveness to God. We don't say, oh God, God's not allowed to get angry. I'm a bit uncomfortable. We don't say, look, if you're comfortable, please pray this prayer of confession. No, you pray the prayer of confession because it's uncomfortable. Boldly broken. But that bold brokenness is marked and paired with bold confidence. Micah never loses faith in the lightness of God's mercy. The God whose darkness he sits in is the same God who brings light and forgiveness and righteousness so you can see what mike is teaching us with that tension is that grace is free but it's not cheap it's free but it's not cheap boldness in confession boldness in assurance Uh, bonhoeffer a great christian theologian who was martyred for his faith says this he says cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion, which we'll have tonight, without confession. Guess what we're having before? Confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Micah's reminding us we need to be both boldly broken and boldly confident be honest with God about our sin and rejoice in the beauty of God's grace. Here's our hope. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord is my light. What a great memory verse. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord is my light. First reason to have hope. Secondly, verses 11 to 14, we see the Lord is shepherd to his people. Now, in this picture of hope, uh, Micah describes the people, the people of God, as a flock of sheep. You might think, oh, that's not very nice. Uh, the idea is, it's actually don't, don't get too offended, it's a really common picture in the Bible about God's people and it's a tender image of God caring for his flock as their shepherd. And notice in verse 14, shepherd your, uh, this is what Micah's kind of crying out, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance. Are they not some random sheep that are thrown? No, no. They're your flock. They're your inheritance. They belong to you. They're precious. Which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashem and Gilead as in the days long ago. Just a few things to note about this kind of uh, uh, shepherd who's coming for his people. Notice all these promises are about a future day in verses 11 to 14. It speaks of the day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries, or verse 12, on that day the people will come to you. There's some future day when all these great things will come to to reality. And this is the big day of the Lord. The Lord will come, the King will come, and make everything right. Second, notice it's a really international event. Uh, We prayed for the World Cup. This is even bigger than the World Cup, and indeed much more important, which is shocking for some people. It is more important than the World Cup. Uh, More than 32 nations come along. All the people are gathered to be part of the people of God. In this new Jerusalem, look at verse 12. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. Assyria is where the northern kingdom had been sent into exile, destroyed, wiped out. God's enemies, the Assyrians, And Egypt, Egypt's never been Israel's friend, always been Israel's enemy. But even people from there will come and be part of God's kingdom. From sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. It's an international affair. It's it's the reverse of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, the nations are getting together and God says, no, go out. But here it's a gathering in, all the nations come together. And of course it's a little, just a very small foretaste of Pentecost, where all the nations gather and hear the gospel. Notice too that it's a promise that Jerusalem will get bigger and bigger. There's a bit of town planning going on for the new Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem. It's a city, the old city. It's surrounded by walls. The walls tell you how big the city is. It's a bit like Melbourne. The tram lines tell you how big the city is, right? If you live inside the tram lines, that's the hipster-proof hip fence. If you live outside, you're in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, right? Uh, But the promise here is in verse 11 that the walls are going to go wider and bigger. In other words, the city will become bigger and bigger. Extending the boundaries. And not just bigger, but better. More fertile, more beautiful, more blessed. They're going to live by forest in fertile uh, fertile pasture lands. uh, And they're going to be fed in Basham and Gilead as in days of old. We all know Basham and Gilead, right? It's it's the, the ancient beauty spot of Israel. It's where you would pay the most for your Airbnb. Uh, it was known these places, I kid you not, were known for two things that were remarkable splendid trees and fat cows. So if you like to stake in the shade this, this was your place to go. Fat cows plenty of nice trees. In other words for most people living in agricultural society, these are really important. It's a bit like the Yarra Valley, Wilson's Prom and Ligon Street smooshed together, uh, you know, a land flung with lattes and gelato, that kind of thing, right? It's not the Clyde, right? It's all those things that we love. This is the Melbourne version of Micah. In other words, it's a place where people long to go, where everything you want and long for is there, a place of blessing. And notice too, uh, fourthly of this middle section, there is a promised king who would shepherd his people. In verse 14, he will shepherd your people with your staff in the flock of your inheritance. In other words, there's a promised Messiah coming, a promised king who will lead God's people and provide all these blessings and restore Jerusalem. And this king will shepherd God's people with a staff. Now a staff was used by shepherds to guide and direct sheep. Kind of gently, not to, you know, there's a bit of whacking, but mostly it's directing, right? Disciplining, guiding, correcting. But also it was a symbol of spiritual leadership and God's leaders were often referred to as shepherds. And there was a promise in Genesis that there would be a great king shepherd. Uh, Genesis 49.10, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until he comes to whom it belongs... Uh, all the nation, then all the nations will be obedient to him. There was a great king who's promised to have a, a staff, a scepter, and all the nations will become obedient to him. That's the promise in Genesis, Genesis 49. And Mike is picking up that very promise and saying, guess what? It's even beyond that. It's a remarkable prophecy that, of course, we see most fully fulfilled in Christ, the Lord Jesus, who's called the Good Shepherd. Who actually end up laying down his life for his sheep? So here we have a great hope in this king who will be a shepherd. That's the second great point of hope. Thirdly, we see the the, the, the reason for hope is that the Lord is God over the nations. This is verses fifteen to seventeen, and this is the back to the future moment in the text. I'm not saying this is where they stole the idea for the movie from, by the way. I'm just saying that's the moment. It, it looks forwards and backwards at the same time. It says, in verse 15, As in the days when you came out of Egypt, looking back to those days, I will show them, in my, uh, sorry, I will show them my wonders looking forward. Looking back to the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Now, looking back to the days of Egypt is, of course, the great story of the Exodus. This is the, the huge story of how God rescued his people from Egypt and there were plagues and, and the firstborn and then they escaped to the Red Sea and the Egyptians and there's, there's Moses and um, there's a song, there's songs and there's... there's there's um, Disney movies, the whole thing, right? It's, you know, it's a big deal when Disney makes a film of it, right? So it's, that's a part of our, of our culture. It's even more part of, of, of the Jewish people's culture. It was reenacted in their liturgical worship as they celebrated the Passover. The story of the Exodus is passed down from father to son, from father to son. It's part of your family story if you're part of God's family. It was a constant source of encouragement, In times of darkness and despair as well as a challenge to repent in times of obedience in other words it really shaped the culture of the people the exodus it's really hard for us to get a hold of just how big a deal of it is and what Micah is saying is saying look just like in the exodus how your current sin and the coming judgment didn't stop you from being rescued or being God's people and seeing the great wonders that God has done, now you will go through the same thing. There is now hope through judgment. There will be an even greater exodus, a more profound rescue. In fact, it won't just be the Egyptians who go, oh my goodness. The whole world will be shocked in silence. Look at verse 16. The nations will see and be ashamed deprived of all their power, they will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. Not just Egypt, but the nations. And what the nations are here, they're a symbol of human pride at its most defiance. Of human arrogance at its most determined. Of human leaders' attempts to rule without reference, let alone worship, to the one who made them. And what's the result? Well, the the result is the second half of verse 17. They will come, these great leaders, these, these great warrior kings, trembling, trembling out of their dens. They will turn to fear the Lord, our God, and be afraid of you. Now, why is this a passage of hope? Well, it's a passage of hope because It is so easy to look at our world and be disheartened. World news is rarely good news. We see evil atrocities. We see nations invading nations. We see injustice. We see oppression. Even in our own country we see it. We're in the middle of 16 days uh, of prayer and activism against gendered violence we see it in our own lives. It can seem like there is no hope and that evil prospers and that we could get away with it and from a human point of view, you would be right. But because we know that God is God over the nations, we know there will be a day where there will be justice and there will be peace and there will be redemption and evil will not win. It will not win. And so we can have hope. Not in humanity, but in the God who is God over the nations. Or fourthly, and in a way the most profoundly, have hope, brothers and sisters, for the Lord is our one and only Saviour. Verses 18 to 20. See, so if the Lord is the light in the darkness and the shepherd of his people and the God over the nations... It is really not surprising to hear Micah proclaim in verse 18, Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? It's a rhetorical question, right? You know what a rhetorical question? Yeah, okay, that was a... <laughs> um, you do not stay angry forever, but delight in showing mercy. This is the deep character of the God we worship. His mercy, his love. The the Hebrew word is hesed. Uh, We haven't really got an English word. We have to kind of use 10 words because that's how powerful the word is. We have to say unchanging, always faithful, overwhelming, covenantal, grace, love. You've got to shove timeless, endless. You've got to keep shoving adjectives in there to try and capture just how much is going on in that one word which captures God's character. That is at the heart of God. And that is to be at the heart of His people. See, that big famous verse, 6 6 8, which Ming so wonderfully recalled for us. Why are we to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God? Just because they're good things, or they are good things. The reality is because we are to reflect the God we worship. His character is a God of justice and a God of love and a God of mercy and you become like what you worship what you worship will shape your heart no matter what it is by the way if you you chase and worship after money and success guess what your heart will be shaped to become successful and money and that will become the thing that drives you it will break you Because we're not designed to be like that. You are designed and shaped to be someone who does justice and love and mercy because it reflects the character of the God who's created you and the God who has redeemed you. You become what you worship. And what's the result of this mercy, this love, this compassion, this timeless, endless, uh, without bounds, said covenantal love. Well, verse 19. You will again have compassion on us. He will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Do you know how far that is? I can tell you because I Googled it. <laughs> the Challenger Deep, that's what it's called. It's the deepest part of the ocean, 11 kilometers. Now, if you were to drop Mount Everest into it, have got two kilometers to go before you, you get to it right that that's how deep it is uh, on uh, the 23rd of January 1960 the deep sea submarine Trieste carrying the French uh, famous French uh, Jacques Picard, got a great name and an American called Don Walsh not as exciting uh, but equally impressive guy uh, they reached the bottom of uh, the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench it was the first time anyone had ever gone that deep And there's only a handful of people who've ever been there since. In fact, more people have walked on the moon than been to the deepest part of our ocean. It is easier to get to the moon than it is to get 11 kilometres underwater, which is why Elon Musk is not trying to get to the bottom. He's trying to get uh, into space, which is why NASA aren't trying to go down. They're trying to go to the moon. In other words, uh, Micah picks this image to remind us that is how far away your sins are from you. It's the furthest point possible, if you want to find out, you've got to put some flippers on and a mask on and you've got a better chance of diving 11 kilometres down than you have of your sin coming back to you. That is how far your sin has been removed. God has completely washed you clean. Do you know that? Uh, on Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, Orthodox Jews will go to a stream or river and they symbolically empty their pockets into the water and they recite these verses. It's called a, a tashlich service, which is the first word in Hebrew to you shall cast. In other words, they, they, they kind of symbolically cast their sins into the water to say, God, you deal with it. I can't deal with it. And so are you carrying your sins in your pocket? Are they still there or are you willing to cast them onto the God who takes them to the depths of the ocean for you? Because notice how Micah keeps saying, you will again have compassion, you will tread our sins underfoot, you will be faithful. It's something only God can do. If you carry your sins in your pocket, you just get weighed down and, and it gets heavier and it gets heavier. No matter how hard you try, it's a burden that you cannot carry. Because the reality is that you and I both deserve to sit in darkness. See, unlike our our Jewish Jewish friends who, who do this, we actually know how God does this. How God can take away our sin. How God can be both the one who judges and the bringer of light. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God treats us with compassion. In Christ, God has trodden our sins underfoot. In Christ, God has been faithful. In Christ, he, he's the one who took on flesh, the thing that we're celebrating through Advent, his second coming, and to Easter, his first coming. He takes your life in the darkness and he takes it to the cross and he takes your sins and they are completely and utterly dealt with. They're gone. Your pockets are empty. See, brothers and sisters, God does not condemn sin just by overlooking it. God is not the Aussie, she'll be right mate kind of attitude when it comes to sin. Sin's far more far more serious. He's a holy and righteous God. Sin must be dealt with in a just way. Sin does not escape condemnation. You are not just let off God doesn't look at you and say, don't be naughty again and give you a scolding and send you on your way. Your sin is completely and utterly judged. There is no condemnation, no darkness. Your sins, where are they, brothers and sisters? They are at the bottom of the ocean. We keep thinking they're just around the corner. right? I know they're not here now, but I think they're just a little bit too close for comfort and at the wrong moment they're going to jump out at me again. no. Rejoice, have hope, your pockets are empty. As uh, my kids would say, poggers, right? If I use that phrase correctly at all, my generation gap showing. Thumbs up, okay, there we go. I'm Trying to me relevant to the kids, right? That is, it, it's a moment of joy and hope to know the lightness that Christ has dealt with each and every one of your sins, even the one that you're most ashamed of your pockets are empty. Which means that you can sing. And by the way, not, not the song I referred to at the beginning. That's, you know, It's a great song, but it's, it's not as great as a song by uh, Charles Wesley, an astonishing Christian hymn writer, who, who wrote these great words. He said, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne. See what he says there? Not, not, not shy I approach or meekly I approach. Boldly confident approach the throne of the eternal God and claim the crown of Christ. How do you boldly approach the throne of God and, and take the crown? That's pretty arrogant, right? Well, it is unless your sin is dealt with then you can boldly approach because your sin has been completely dealt with and claim the crown through Christ your own. See, brothers and sisters, this is the basis for our deepest hope. Truly, the Lord is the one and only Saviour. In a moment, we're going to sing of this great truth, but before we do... Let me pray. We thank you, our great and mighty God, that you are the light in the darkness of our sin. You are the good shepherd to lost sheep. You are the peaceful God over the warring nations. Who is a God like you? who pardons my sin and forgives my transgression. Who is a God who does not stay angry forever but delights to show mercy. We thank you, Father, that in Christ we know that this is you. Amen.